Welcome to the Anchor Church Podcast. We are so glad you're here. For more content and upcoming events, visit anchorchurchcsra.com. We're going to finish our core value series. We've been going through each core value of Anchor Church, and so if you're new around here, this is the perfect time to visit our church because you get to see beneath the hood, you get to see our heart for what really matters to us. A core value for a church is what gets your, your blood pumping and what gets you excited and what really, um, you know, just the things that we want to make sure that we are doing always. And so tonight, we're going to discover our last core value together. But before we switch that slide, I want to just tell you what the rest of these are, because I know some of you are coming in on the back end here. The first one was worship. The second one was love. And then we had truth, discipleship, community, and now mission. And so if you missed a week, just hit up our podcast. We're on Spotify or wherever else you get podcasts, and you can check out our archive there. We do post past sermons there all the way from the very beginning. And so you can feel free to listen to any of those that you would like, um, including this one, if you want to listen back and, um, and just continue to meditate on this message. So tonight, we're talking about mission. Like I said, 2 Corinthians is where we're going to be. So if you're looking for where to turn in your Bibles or where to click on your phone, flip to 2 Corinthians. And we're just going to be in chapter 4, verses 1 through 6. And as you're turning there, warming up those pens and those notebooks or your notepad app on your iPad, whatever you're using to take notes tonight, we just want to put it plain and simple. Mission. What does mission be, mean for Anchor Church? It means that we engage in God's redemptive work around the world. That's what we mean when we say mission. Sometimes churches say missions, but this is really what they mean. It means that God is actively at the top of the service. What do we do? We read 2 Corinthians 5, and it says, we've received this ministry of reconciliation. So that's what we're talking about when we say redemptive work. God is taking broken people and he's saving them. And we're all broken apart from Christ. Sin has left us in need of a savior. And Jesus is a perfect savior. And so we engage in that work. I really want you to lean into that word engage tonight. Because we don't just want to have a church where people come and attend. There are lots of churches in our nation where people come and attend. They consume. They leave. And they, you know, they think about the message throughout the week, maybe a couple little nuggets that stood out, but by and large, that is the revolving door. We come, we consume, and we then leave, and then we come back and next week and do the same thing. So that is called a church of attenders. But engagement is much, much different. It means simply this, and here's the big idea for tonight. We commit to relentlessly proclaiming the gospel so that grace may be extended, people be saved, and the glory of God be increased. Now that is engagement. You cannot do this and simply attend a church, all right? And we live in an entertainment culture, right? So it's a lot of watch and see. It's a lot of, um, and guys, I, I subscribe to YouTube channels myself, and I, I, I know the drill. But we're talking about something different here. We're talking about getting involved, getting involved in the mission. You know, I was at the park with my kids. Me and, me and my kids go to the park all the time. And 
I remember we were at this park playing disc golf. Have you, any of you played disc golf before with the baskets and you toss the, the discs in there? Wow, okay, so we need to have a disc golf church event. Got it, cool. All right, so we're going to do that. But we were there, and we saw these basketball courts. So there was a big area where people play basketball. How many of you have ever played basketball? Okay, there we go. I was just, I was just checking on you. Let me make sure you all awake, because I, I know you all play basketball. So we, we have the courts, and there are two courts there, two games going on, both groups of adults playing basketball games. This group over here, man, they were having fun. They were cutting up. It was great. People were doing dude perfect trick shots over their head and, you know, spinning around and being silly. And it was just a good old time. I mean, I looked down there. I was like, man, I, I wish I, you know, me and, the, me and the boys need to see if we could get in on a game with them. I mean, they were, they were just having a blast. It was clear they were having fun. On this side, they were also having fun. But this game over here was different. This game over here, they were in specific formations. There were five people on each team. This, team. this game over here had like 14 on 13. I mean, it was just like a big mess. And they were just having a good time. But this, but this game over here, five on five, they were in specific formations. They were, they were keeping score. That was the difference. You could tell just by looking. I didn't know who was who. I didn't know how everybody was related to one another. I just knew they're keeping score. They're not. What in the world does that have to do with mission tonight? Anchor Church, understand one thing before we get started tonight. We are a church that is keeping score. And not for our own glory. Not for our own praise or statistics. But we want to, what did we just say in the big idea? We want to relentlessly proclaim the gospel. Grace be extended. People be saved. And the glory of God be increased. And that is a church that keeps score. So yeah, we keep track of how many people come. <laughs> and we keep track of all kinds of different metrics and things like that. Not so that we can puff ourselves up with pride when those numbers go up or make it all about numbers. But guys, every number is about a person and every person is made in the image of God and has a soul with a story and is deeply important to God and important to us. So that's what we mean by a church that is keeping score. I remember early on when I was sharing with somebody about our church plan, I had this prospectus book. It's kind of like a business plan for a church. Um, it, it essentially shows them what the church is going to look like and be structured and all of that before the church is even launched. It helps them get a picture. And I just remember this one guy, we, we went to uh, breakfast, went to like Waffle House or something, and, and he just looked over at me and he said, wow, so you guys aren't messing around. And I said, no, sir. We are not here to play church. And there are a lot of churches in our country that are just meeting weekly to play church. And we are on mission. So what does that mission look like? Well, we're talking about not just simply having a mission, not just simply uh, supporting a mission, but we're talking about the ownership of a mission. So write that down tonight. The ownership of the mission. Just a few verses here in 2 Corinthians 4. Oh, I wanted to preach the whole chapter so bad, uh, but I restrained myself uh, so that we would not be here till nine o'clock and so the kids can go to the park and do their popsicle uh, outreach and invite cards. And like Dwayne said earlier, we have proclaim right after. Um, man, if you want to be more equipped to share your faith, 
You don't even have to register. Like if you didn't register, if you're brand new here, man, come, come anyway. Um, I'll make one correction. We don't have dinner for the Proclaim event, uh, so that, but that'll be right after, and I promise I'll keep it pretty tight so that if you didn't eat before, you can eat after. But most of our events, we do have food, uh, but that's just like the one event uh, that we did not have uh, food or childcare for, but your kids are welcome. It's, uh, I mean, they're, they're going to be fine. Our, by the way, at Anchor Church, we have a lot of kids. <laughs> we have a ton of kids, and we love it. Actually, a little stat for you. I told you we keep metrics. Over half our church is kids. And can I tell you something? I hope as we grow, and we are growing, and God's doing a great thing here, it's amazing to watch, um, I, I, I hope it stays that way. Like, like, I hope when we're a church of 200, that 100 are kids or more. Because we're passionate about the next generation, amen? I know every one of you are. I can see you nodding, I can see your face light up when you talk about kids hearing the gospel and being taught from an early age what life is really all about. It's about living on mission. It's about owning the mission and kids are a part of that. How many, how many of you were greeted by children on the way in? That was intentional. It's not just so we can make them feel good about doing a kind deed. It's because we believe kids are a part of that mission. Your kids are, and we want to equip them. They're going out into the community tonight to carry the gospel to this community, to our community. So pray for them. Um, if, if you were not going, uh, if, if you're on the way home and you're thinking about it, man, just, just lift up some prayers for our kids out um, doing, doing some outreach tonight at the park. All right, so let's dig in. Um, hey, before we get into the text, though, you know, the difference between what I was talking about earlier, the ownership of the mission. There's a big difference between support and sacrifice. You follow me? I support the mission. I will sacrifice for the mission. There's a difference between I will help the cause and I will hurt for the cause. Right? It's a whole different story when you have ownership, when you have skin in the game. So let's see what Paul's talking about here. He paints a picture for the Corinthian church, the mission of the church to give the light of Jesus. He calls them to a real ownership of the mission of the church. So let's get into 2 Corinthians 4, 1. Paul says this, Therefore, since, what's that word? Since, and what's the word after that? We. And he's going to use this word 20 times. Paul is going to say, we have this ministry. We, we. I mean, he's going to use it over and over and over again because this is not an I. This is not a me. This is a we. There you go. Since we have this ministry, because we were shown mercy, we do not give up. And so Paul lays it down from the very beginning. Everyone in this room has a ministry. If you call yourself a Christian, God wants to use you in this redemptive work we're talking about. And if you have not discovered what that is yet, guess what I get really excited about doing? Helping people discover that. Helping people get off the bench and into the game. Because I think there's this, um, this presupposition or this assumption sometimes at church. We go, oh, someone else already got that covered, I'm sure. Well, yeah, that needs to be done, but it looks like someone's already doing that. Uh, you know, I'll figure out my place at some point. No, we are passionate about helping you find your ministry. And yes, your workplace can be your ministry and your neighbor, you know, you do neighborhood ministry. Yes, we, we know that. That's kind of a, it's kind of a given. But 
within this body of believers, within the body of, within this local expression of the body of believers, at Anchor Church, we want to help you find your sweet spot. We want to help you find your place. So we give you something called a shape assessment. I just had a meeting with someone this week unpacking their shape assessment, and it was fantastic. We, we help you discover your spiritual gifts, how your personality, your abilities, your experiences in life, and what really gets your blood pumping, how all that kind of converges together for your ministry. So who's got a ministry? Everyone has a ministry. Well, what kind of ministry? Well, 2 Corinthians 3, if you go back a chapter, we're not going to have it on the screen, and I'm going to save us a little bit of time. I'm just going to tell you the kind of ministry Paul's talking about is the ministry of the new covenant. What kind of ministry is that? It's a ministry centered on Jesus. And it's a ministry that brings life to the dead, salvation to the lost, righteous to the unrighteous a ministry that is able to transform lives. That's right. God wants to use you for that ministry, not just other people. And so I really want you to lean into that tonight. I really want you to think about as we go throughout this text, how is God using me right now? Is, am, am I available to God using me right now? Because I know what COVID did. I know what the pandemic did. It took a lot of us out of the game. It did. It took a lot of Christians out of the game. It, it made us kind of, um, you know, if we're using a car analogy, it's like we're going down the road and then we got kind of broke down on the side. And what you need is a jump start. You need a friend to come along and say, hey, I got you, man. Let's get back on the road. And that's what we want to do tonight to help reignite that. But we as a church have a responsibility beyond preferences or wants, a holy must, a righteous ought. That's what Paul is talking about. When we own a ministry together, Friends, we'll experience a genuine movement of God, his redemptive activity, empowered by him, not because we're so powerful, but because he is empowering us. So um, I remember one of my first favorite memories of Anchor Church. See, we're in our 18th month of existence, but there's this time called pre-launch. It was before we had our first worship service, but we had a launch team. Okay, so you have like a group of people before the church officially launches. They're meeting together for prayer. You know, we sing together. We pretty much do the same things we do in this room, but it doesn't feel like a service. It feels a little more organic. We're in a living room. It's in homes and things like that, and we're doing ministry. And so I remember we're with the launch team. And I remember in the beginning, everybody said, um, this isn't how I view it, but it's just, it's just what people said, and it's kind of how people see it when you're a church planter. You set out to plant a church. You're building a launch team. People will say, your church. Yeah, Brandon, I'll come alongside and help you plant your church. Sure. And they don't mean it that way. Like, I don't, I don't think people even realize they're saying it that way, but they'll say, your church. And guys, I've never thought for a second, this is my church. This is Jesus' church, first of all. Let's get that straight. Um, but, you know, but but people will say that, and it's because they care about you and they love you and all that. But I remember the first time I heard someone on our launch team said, when we launch. Oh, I was thinking about what we could do in our church. The first time they used that first person plural language, I remember exactly who it was. I remember exactly where I was sitting. I, I remember that moment. Like God burns moments in your, like he sears it in your mind. You know what I'm talking about? Like you can literally remember where you were when that moment happened. This is one of those moments. And why did I say that? Because that is the kind of commitment that ownership displays. And so we're not looking uh, for just simply, um, you know, help 
with someone else's mission, but were you considering owning this mission, the mission we just read? So what about this mission? Well, first of all, Paul tells us we were shown mercy, weren't we? We were shown mercy. He said we have this ministry. Why? Because we were shown mercy. So the only reason why we even have a ministry to reach out to the world is because we were forgiven in the first place. What is mercy? Doctrinally, mercy is, is, is when God withholds what you deserve and gives you something else instead. That's what mercy is. Grace is when he gives you an undeserved gift. So that's a grace gift. But mercy is when he holds back, let's say, his judgment. And you receive freedom instead. He, he holds something back you should actually get, and he gives you something else. And that is grace. So that's the distinction between grace and mercy. So Paul tells us we were shown mercy. Mercy doesn't just forgive us. Please, please don't miss this. It doesn't just forgive us. It frees us. Mercy frees you. The Bible says you're not just um, broken without Jesus. You're a slave to sin. Like you live your life like you have to do what sin says. You're like in chains, and Jesus sets you free. We talked about this in the week we preached on truth. Jesus says, if you're really my disciples and you will know the truth, you will obey my word, you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. And so if we're truly grateful for mercy and compassion from the Lord, then we must go and be a conduit of that same grace and mercy to our world. What else? Well, we refuse to give up. Paul says at the end of verse one, we refuse to give up. Your more literal translation in your lap may say lose heart because what happens with any mission, what happens with any group that goes to war, that starts a, a battle, any athletic team that starts playing a game, you're gonna have opposition, right? Every mission worth its salt is gonna have some opposition. And our mission is no different. We're about to go through the entire book of Acts together as a church starting in August. And we're going to see that in the church's beginning, the first church plant that was happening in Jerusalem, it didn't take long before the opposition came. We are promised opposition. Jesus promised opposition in John 16. He says, in this world, you will have trouble. You will. And we figured that out already, right? In this life, <laughs> we know that we're gonna have trouble. But he said, take heart, for I have overcome the world. First John chapter four says, greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. So God knows it's gonna be tough for, for us, but we refuse to give up. Let's look at verse two. Let's go on. Instead, instead of giving up, instead, we have renounced secret and shameful things, not acting deceitfully or distorting the word of God, but commending ourselves before God to everyone's conscience by an open display of the truth. Okay, so that was a mouthful. So let's make it really simple. Our mission, we openly display the truth. And what was our third core value again? Truth. That's where we get it from. So again, like these core values, like we didn't just sit down and go, all right, let's get real creative. What, you know, how can we, like we're just like, what, what does God tell us that the church should be about? And so we get to truth. We openly display the truth. How does that begin? It starts with repentance. He says we renounce secret and shameful things because what were the Corinthians doing in their church? Ooh, secret and shameful things. We won't even mention some of those right now. They like to have parties 
but not just like red solo cup parties. I mean, they were doing things at these parties that were secret and shameful, okay? Like clothes were off, and I won't describe the rest of the parties, but it was, it was very secret, very shameful. And Paul's like, we already walked away from that stuff, guys. Did you know this is the fourth letter Paul wrote to the Corinthians? You may go, well, it's 2 Corinthians. That doesn't make sense. Well, he wrote four letters, all right? 1 Corinthians refers to other letters that he wrote. He wrote four total. Three is called the sorrowful letter. We don't know where that one is. It's still in the earth somewhere. But 2 Corinthians was his fourth and final letter. Paul means business. Like like when you read 2 Corinthians, you can can tell he's like talked to them about this stuff before. (laughs) He's like, guys, we... You have to understand this. We've already walked away from these secret and shameful things. And so Christians in the room, let me, let me just encourage you tonight. It's not to beat you up with any kind of guilt. It's just to remind you that the things that you walked away from when you became a believer, the things that try to suck you back in, because Satan knows those things. He knows the things that will, that will entangle you. Don't give up. Keep fighting. Keep repenting. Keep turning away. What else does Paul say? Paul says we have an honesty of ministry. He says there are other people who did what? Let's put the text back up there, Mike, for a second. Verse, verse two, what, 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 what were these false teachers doing? They were acting deceitfully, distorting the word of God. Does that happen today? Anybody? Yeah, it happens all the time. Acting deceitfully. Why deceitfully? Well, personal gain. There's some pastors that are in it just, just so their wallet will get bigger. Just so they can buy a bigger jet. Or, sometimes even less obvious, just because of pride. Just to puff themselves up with pride. But then we have this distortion of the word of God. So it sounds a lot like truth, but again, it's like store brand truth. It's like Clover Valley truth, if you're picking up what I'm putting down. Clover, Clover Valley is Dollar General brand. It's like... Kind of like the real thing, but it's cheapened. The, the literal translation for that Greek word is adulterated. These, these Judaizers, as they were called in this day, the Judaizers basically taught Jesus plus theology. Do you guys know what I'm talking about? Jesus plus. Yeah, oh yeah, it's Jesus, but you've also got to do these things. I grew up in Jesus plus. I grew up in the church but I grew up being taught, yes, it's about Jesus on the cross. Yes, Jesus rose again from the grave. Yes, Jesus loves you, but you got to do this stuff too. And unless you do this stuff, that Jesus stuff we just talked about is not effective unless you perform well here. And all that did for me was puff me full of religion. And it made me try hard. It, it did. But all I ever discovered in the end was I can't do this. I'm a, I'm a failure. I can't keep these things that God's asking me to keep. I can't do enough. And that was exactly what I needed to realize, but Satan was, 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 was holding me back from discovering, like, no, Brandon, it's about his grace and mercy. It's about, it's about the fact that Jesus accomplished these things for you. And so they're distorting the word of God. So what does it look like displaying the truth? It means that we appeal to the conscience. And in the proclaimed training in a little bit, we're going to talk about that. Appealing to the conscience. This is what preaching is. This is what I'm doing right now. What I'm not doing is teaching. I know there's some teaching involved in what I'm doing. But I'm not merely teaching. How do I know that? Because teaching is about content. 
I'm not just merely telling you what 2 Corinthians 4, 1 through 6 means. If I was doing that, this message would feel a lot different. What preaching is, is appealing to the conscience. So what I'm trying to do each and every week, yes, I'm trying to make the text clear. We're a text-driven church. We preach text-driven sermons, okay? Exegetical is kind of the fancy word for it. It means out of the text. But a preaching, preaching is appealing to the conscience. It's like, guys, I'm going to tell you what this means, but more than that, there's, a, there's an ought. There's a, there's a, hopefully an exhortation to action. Exhortation is a big fancy word that means I want us all to do something with this. I don't just want us to come and learn some stuff. And guys, when you put the word of God into practice, I'm telling you, I know it's scary at first. I had my own experiences with applying hard passages to your life. You gotta take leaps of faith. But guys, our leap of faith is not in vain. Our leap of faith is not empty air we're jumping across. We're walking across the bridge that Jesus has a bridge for us. Our faith is in Christ. It's not just we just jump out there and just see what happens. No, God promises that it's going to be okay. If we obey, God, guys, obedience brings blessing. That is not a prosperity message at all. It's just the Bible. People obey God. Yeah, stuff gets tough, but ultimately they're blessed. What does that blessing look like? Well, that's up to him. That's, 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 that's God's sovereignty. But we still obey and we know that we will receive blessing for that. And so let's keep moving down. So if you call yourself a Christian in the room, it's going to sound a little weird, but I want you to maybe start embracing this in a different way tonight. If you're a Christian in the room, then you are a preacher. You might not ever preach from this spot up here or up on a stage somewhere else or up on the picnic table at the park or anything like that. That's, that's not what I'm talking about. What does the Greek word for preaching mean? It's, it's kariso. It means to proclaim. That's why the training is called proclaim. Because that's our job is to go take the gospel to this world to proclaim wherever God has you. If you're a Christian, you're a preacher. Congratulations. If you're a Christian, you're a missionary. If you're a true Christian, Spurgeon put it this way, you're either a missionary or an imposter. So we'll let that sit. Let's go ahead and move on to this, um, to this next insight. We said this earlier, but we're going to circle around to it. Verse 3 tells us, in our mission, we're guaranteed opposition. Feel free to write that down. In our mission, we're guaranteed opposition. So why isn't the truth winning more souls? If we're getting out there and we're sharing the truth, why isn't it as effective? Why are the false teachers who twist the word so successful? Verse three tells us, because if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. So if someone doesn't get it, it's a sign, not that they're dumb, it's because they're spiritually dead. And it also doesn't mean that the Bible is impossible to understand unless God makes you spiritually alive. That's not what that means. And some churches teach that. And I'm going to stand here very boldly today, not arrogantly, but just boldly and tell you that that's wrong. That the Bible is not nearly as complicated as we have made it. And our call as missionaries and as preachers is to make something, yeah, that sometimes is seemingly complicated and make it very simple. And yeah, it takes some homework on our end. It takes some heart work on our end. It takes living it out on our end but it is very possible. But Paul says in their case, 
in the spiritually dead that just aren't getting it. The gospel just, it's just murky to them. In their case, the God of this age, who is that? The devil. That's Satan. He's blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel, the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. So we have an enemy, friends. We learn here doctrinally, just doctrinal truth. This is the more teaching side of things. That we have an enemy who tries to pry the truth from our hands as we deliver the gospel. He tries to pry it out. He wants the truth that comes out of our mouth. He tries to muddy it up. He's working against us. But friends, we have a power within us that cannot be stopped. Don't let the opposition scare you. Don't give up. When you feel awkward when you share your faith, that's just Satan trying to get in your grill and try to discourage you, try to make sure you never open your mouth for Jesus again. Don't let him win. In sports, when you experience the opposition, it helps you know that the ball's headed in the right direction. Think about football. If you're not a threat, is the defense going to come run after you and tackle you? No, if you're running the opposite way towards your own end zone, defense is going to be like, safety, cool. He's going to run his own end zone. But if you're headed in the right direction, if you're on mission, we can expect opposition. The Colts do this. The Latter-day Saints, the Mormons, the Watchtower Bible Tract Society, or the Jehovah's Witnesses, they take existing Christian doctrine and it's perverted and it's twisted. And Satan is behind this. He's blinded the minds of unbelievers. But we need to understand that we serve a God who makes the blind see. Because we read a verse like this and we go, what are we going to do? I mean, we're, we're, we're supposed to take this message out, but Satan's doing this stuff. It seems, it seems pointless if this is the result. But our Savior heals the blind, does he not? Amazing grace. How sweet the sound. Saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. Was blind, but now I see. We've sang that song a million times. And we confess it every time that our God is a healing God. His light is a healing light that can illuminate a heart to salvation. It, it, it's a doctrine of illumination. The Holy Spirit, the author of Scripture, the Holy Spirit, it, He lights up Scripture in our hearts and helps guide us into all truth, as the Bible says. So what else about this mission as we wrap up? Well, I've got some good news for you. I'm going to take some pressure off. Ready? Let's, let's put this up here. Our mission. We are not inventing our own message. <laughs> Again, like I said earlier, you don't, you don't really have to get that creative. Approach, sure, we can get creative with approach. We can try some different things, try some new initiatives, try some different ways. And, and, and the approach has got to match the context. It has to match the community. We have to be good missiologists. All that means is we look at our community, we go... What do people respond well to? Not some kind of like weird marketing thing, but just using common sense and going like, in this community, is door-to-door -door the best strategy? Don't, don't say door-to-door -door doesn't work. It, it still works. But in this community, is it the best strategy? When a neighborhood sign that says no soliciting like every five feet or I've read one time, I was knocking on somebody's door and it's like, you can knock on the door, but don't make it weird or something like that. And I don't know, like some of, the, some of those signs, which I thought was funny. Um, but, you know, we think about approach. But the content 
is not where we get creative. We're not inventing our own message. Paul says this in verse five, for we are not proclaiming ourselves, but Jesus Christ is Lord and ourselves as your servants for Jesus sake. I want to share a quote from you from Charles Spurgeon. He said this, the preacher, who's the preacher? Don't look at me. Who's, who's the preacher? Come on now. Every Christian is a preacher, is a proclaimer, all right? I know it may sound a little weird to say right now, all right? Some, some of y'all are getting a little uncomfortable with that, but, but, but that's okay. We're, we're gonna challenge you. The preacher should either speak in God's name or hold his tongue. My brother, if the Lord has not sent you with the message, go to bed or, or school or mind your farm. For what does it matter what you have to say of your own? But if heaven, lean into this, guys, if heaven has given you a message, think about it from that way. Speak it out as he ought to speak who is called to be, here it is, the mouth of God. That's what a prophet is, right, in Scripture. And yes, some are given a prophetic gift. They lean into that a little more. But all a prophet does, all a prophet ever did was just say what God said and try to make it clear. They don't shoot the messenger, even though they will. This is just what God says. And Jesus says when they do take aim at the messenger, guess what? We said it earlier. He said, count it as a blessing to be persecuted for righteousness sake. Blessed are you when you are persecuted for righteousness sake. When you take the gospel out and someone responds in a way that makes you feel terrible, that maybe they even... I don't know, reject you, cut you off, don't text you anymore, got kind of weirded out. Just remember, they're not rejecting you. They're rejecting Jesus. And I think one of the biggest hindrances in evangelism is sometimes we make it too much about us. And I'm the first one who is capable of doing that. I feel terrible if I... Um, Share, share the gospel with somebody that doesn't go where I thought it should go and they didn't respond or receive Christ. I, I go, man, there's something wrong with me or I, I messed up or, you know, and then I feel like they don't like me and I get sad. And the Lord in that moment just very graciously just touches my heart, just like, Brandon, it's not about you. They're, they're rejecting me. And so be faithful, take the message out. When we own the mission, it's all about Jesus. It's all about his kingdom. We don't proclaim ourselves, but we proclaim Christ. And so that's why when we share the gospel with others, I'll encourage you with this too, with this point of application. Our story is great. You should share your story with other people, how God has changed your life. It's called your testimony, right? Where you were before Christ, how you met Christ, what he's done after. You should share your testimony. But if all if all someone who needs to hear the gospel that you're sharing with, if all they hear is, hey, you understand, man, I was messed up, but then Jesus made me better. If that's all they walk away with is, I was messed up, but now I'm not messed up, and look how great my life is now. If that's all they get, then we have failed. We have failed. Because that will not save anyone. I'm not discounting the work of God in your life. We should tell that story, but we have to tell them about the cross. We, have to, we can't preach a resurrectionless gospel. If Christ wasn't raised from the dead, none of it matters. 
Paul's like, we're, we're to be the most pitied of all groups of people in the world if Christ didn't really rise from the dead. And so we preach the whole gospel. We preach a creation of good. Sin messed everything up, but God sent a savior. And you tell him what, what Christ has done for you. You share that, but don't forget to share the whole story. Our world needs to understand how they related to Jesus. Man, he's perfect, awesome, gracious, powerful. But we're not, we're sinners, we're slaves to sin. We need to be forgiven lest we face God's judgment. We need a savior to bring healing to us. So here's our mission. Our our mission is simply this. We are giving light, giving the light of Christ as a gift to all. It's simply that. We are light givers. We give his light to everyone who would hear. Verse six says this, for God who said, let light shine out of darkness has shown into our hearts to give the light of knowledge of God's glory in the face of Jesus Christ. Just imagine a mirror. We're called to be mirrors. Not to produce the light. I know the Bible says, let your light so shine before men. But the light does not start with us. It's not a light we're generating. It's a light we're reflecting out. So our job is to be the mirror. Our job is to reflect his glory to other people. The light of God's glory. Glory means his importance, his fame, his kingship. He is not one of many options. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. He is our creator, our savior, and sustainer. So here's the vision of the mission accomplished. What what does all this look like? All right, Brandon, so what does this look like if we do a good job? (laughs) Mission accomplished. What does that look like? And here it is, verse 15. For all of this, for all this is because of you, so that grace extended through more and more people, it may cause thanksgiving to overflow to God's glory. Therefore, we said at the beginning, we do not give up. And so, I want to invite you to something tonight. There are some of you in the room that tonight, your next step spiritually is to receive God's grace and and mercy as a gift. Because that's what salvation looks like. See, we're all sinners. Sin separates us from God. We've all messed up. God God has laid out what's right and wrong in, in his word. He created us in his image. But because sin entered the world, it caused us to be born with a prone to wander kind of condition. Our default settings are towards sin. And we need someone stronger than us to come and save us from that default setting. And that's what Christ has done. That's what Jesus has done. 2,000 years ago, he came and lived the perfect life that none of us could live. And he was the perfect sacrifice on the cross. We preach a cross-centered gospel. That's why I preach in front of a cross every single week to remind us that when we look at the cross, we remember that God loved you so much that he gave his only son for you. Whoever would believe in Jesus, whoever would turn from their sin and say, I'm done living for sin, I want to live for Christ. Whoever would turn from their sin and trust in Jesus, trust in him for salvation, receive that grace gift and forgiveness from your sins. 
And so let me ask you a question. Have you made a decision like that in your life? Have you made a decision like that in your life where you could actually comprehend what you were doing? If you were like me, maybe you were a young child and you went through the steps that mom and dad encouraged you to go through. And I'm not knocking mom and dad or grandma or anybody that has spiritual influence on you because they were trying to guide you closer to Jesus. But maybe if you're honest, you're like, you know what? I don't know if I've ever really made that decision for myself. I don't, I don't, I don't know if I've really ever owned that. And tonight you can. It's as simple as this. Everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Just pray during this response time. The invitation is this. You just pray an honest prayer to God. Just say, God, I know I'm a sinner and I know that I need a savior and I'm trusting in you, Jesus, to be my Lord, my King, and my Savior, to come and save me from my sin. Forgive me, Jesus. Just ask him and he's faithful. 1 John 1, 9 says, if you confess your sins to him, you ask forgiveness, he's faithful to cleanse you from all of unrighteousness tonight. But here's the other part. If you've already made a decision like that, if you call yourself a Christian and you're coming to terms with the fact that you're a preacher now and a missionary, here's my encouragement to you tonight. Lean into it during this response time. Here's my exhortation for you. Own the mission. Don't just help with the mission, but own the mission. We want to help you get off the bench and into the game. Let us know how we can do that. Grab one of those next step cards during this time as Garrett comes and leads us in worship. As he comes and we sing to Jesus, man, just grab a card, flip it over to the next steps and tell us what you feel like God's stirring you towards the next step. Everyone in this room has a next step. Every single person. And so we just want to help you take that next step. There's serve cards there. If you want to get involved in ministry, it's easy. It's simple to get plugged into ministry. And we would love to help you do that. Can I pray for us? Jesus, we love you so much. We thank you. I thank you for every soul in the room, God. I pray that you would do the work that only you can do, that your Holy Spirit would convict of sin in this place and lead someone in this room that needs to give their life to you tonight. It just says, I'm ready to turn from sin and trust in Jesus. I pray that you would lead them to do that in your timing and in your way. And God, I pray for every Christian in the room tonight that would say, I want to get involved in this ministry that we have, in this mission, and I want to embrace it with ownership. God, that you would speak to their heart during this time of worship, during this time of response and reflection. You brought them here tonight for a purpose. You brought everybody here tonight for a purpose. So Lord, tell us in our hearts what it is you're leading us to do. Make it clear. God, I lift all this up because you're so good. This is your time to speak to us, Lord, and our time to respond to you in worship. So, Lord, have your way in this place. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening. For more information, visit anchorchurchcsra.com or follow us on social media at anchorchurchcsra.com.